0: StarWarsLegacy.html is brought to you by the fine folks at Cage Club. So for all things podcasts, movies, music, media, and more, head on over to CageClub.me or like, subscribe, and follow on all of your favorite social media and podcasting services. This is CloneWarsForceLegacy.html. Woo! And I really am watching this show. I don't know that I like it or don't like it, but I feel like I'm definitely like, ah, uh, this is so hard to talk about. Kind of like, I feel like Clone Wars in some ways is like Game of Thrones. It's one of those things where people are like, just stick with it because you'll either like it or you won't.
1: I get that. I see where you're coming from on that. I am enjoying a lot of it as a rule, but if anything is making me frustrated or angry about the Clone Wars, it's that I don't see in any way where this is superior to anything that we've gotten of the films from this decade. It's not to say that this is bad. It's to say that the sequel trilogy is not worse than any of this so far.
0: Yeah, you know, Clone Wars the animated series feels very much like the thing that gave birth to the sequel trilogy in a lot of ways. Uh, kind of for better or for worse. I do think 7, 8, and 9 are at odds with each other thematically, not necessarily... Canonically, and I feel like a lot of the Clone Wars animated series winds up at odds with itself. Kind of like thematically, there are no bounty hunters that are given rise in this season, despite this season being called Rise of the Bounty Hunters. Sometimes Anakin is like, "Hey, what's up, old Anakin? Let's hang out and let's go to the store where we can buy the bubble gums." And sometimes he's like, "I'm gonna kill your fucking family," and I'm just like, "Huh."
1: There are things that they are getting better as time goes on, but this arc that we're going to be discussing today is certainly not one that won me over, probably because it's so heavily focused on the planet of Geonosis, which I saw enough of in episode two. I didn't need more. I don't need more of these creatures, and I don't need to watch Jedi and clone troopers viciously murder the people whose planet this is.
0: Uh, Gia, no thanks, sis.
1: Today we'll be discussing from the Star Wars Clone Wars chronological episode listing entries 31 through 35 or Season 2 Episode 4 through Season 2 Episode 8 starting with Season 2 Episode 4 Senate Spy written by Melinda Sue, who will later be writing another episode and is currently the
0: showrunner of the CW's Nancy Drew. So I actually liked this episode. Well, I liked most of this episode. There are some parts of it that are just like, sometimes I think they were like, let's do the Clone Wars so that we can hit all of our favorite tropes in Star Wars. But this was connected to the other episodes the way that the first Pirates of the Caribbean is connected to the second and third ones. Yeah. Okay. I'm with you on that one oh look we referenced parts of that and oh look things have come up but this was not they packaged that first few episodes as a film and we were like oh this is definitely where the first one broke and these three seem like they're one big thing this was that same thing if this had been packaged as a movie it would have been like ah episode one's break and then here's the other four
1: This episode definitely had me nervous at the onset, first of all, because I wasn't sure how I felt about seeing Padme and Anakin's domestic bliss. If anything, this highlighted for me how well they don't know each other, that he not only doesn't know that his wife can cook, but he doesn't know that she has a specialty. And then I became afraid that we were going to delve into some amount of Gossip Jedi dramatics with this ex-boyfriend of Padme's who's never even really referred to as an ex-boyfriend they're just referred to as friends and that heavy implication in a cartoon show that's also meant for children is really uncomfortable
0: just come out and say what they were and there's something about this like fuck me with your sith bliss that quickly turns toxic and i don't know this whole thing didn't quite come together for me this was not my favorite run of episodes didn't hate it but this was not my star wars
1: i know we're going to see clovis again and i don't hate it as much as i hate that we will be seeing other characters again but eh, he's mostly just annoying and he's that smarmy ex-boyfriend who still wants his ex-girlfriend trope to the point where his password is her name no i always hate that that is always the stupidest fucking thing whose idea was that
0: In my notes, I describe him as a 1980 ski lodge rapist. I do love that Padme does not
1: immediately be like, oh, no, he must be innocent because I knew him. She was like, that's terrible. I can't believe that he would do that. Let's figure out if he's doing that. Padme is... Still, so frequently shown with more agency than I would expect from a franchise like this. I really loved the moment where she pulled a little Princess Jasmine move by making it look like she was hitting on Clovis, but secretly passing something to Anakin, and he played along with that very well. I was afraid that his jealousy stuff was going to be such a heavier focus of the episode and then it wasn't. It's another episode where Padme gets poisoned and then is just fine. Like are they trying to hint that her body is really fucked up from all of this to give us further reason as to why she might die in childbirth maybe? I don't know. Oh no she
0: has Sith poisoning. Oh no her body's all Sithed. And you know like okay so obviously by putting the focus on their romance and their relationship you sort of distracted away. Away from the central idea. And so there were little things you might have missed. Like, fuckboy Poggle was introduced here. He's sort of like all in the corner in like a shadow. After not having seen him for a really long time. And I really enjoyed that there is a bad guy who once again kind of just makes gargle noises. So it was great to see that. I though. I do not understand why... Nemoidians are very offensive, and, like, I can't get past it. Like, uh, uh. please see our discussion on updating the Mandarin from Iron Man 3 and not necessarily making it better, but making it weird. And, okay, but, so, like, one of the worst things about Ski Lodge Rapist Badman character trope is that they're always like, I cannot believe you would betray me. And, like... Dude, you are leading to the death of millions.
1: The name of this episode is Senate Spy, and that's what you are, dude. You're
0: the spy. But no, 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 no. You do not get to play high ground horse right now. It does not work like that. I liked how sassy 3PO was in this episode
1: though When he's like, I guess no one wants my company tonight Such a lonely little sass bot
0: Throughout this five-parter, we had some amount of sass botting And it's always interesting because there's this like really fine line Between cute and precocious and cloying and rude And it's this really fine line to have this gradient of four things And I feel like Star Wars frequently has trouble navigating the 90s sitcom sass line where sometimes it's sassy and sometimes, oh, you're shitty people. I'm sorry, is one of the like rules of the Jedi Order that you must take a vow of being an asshole at the worst times? And speaking of sassy younglings, an absence from this
1: episode that I almost didn't even notice until she appeared in this next episode was Ahsoka Tano. As we move into discussing season two, episode five, Landing at Point Rain, written by Brian Larson. And directed by Brian Kalen O'Connell. I guess it's hard to have Ahsoka around in Padme Anakin's stories without it starting to become really fucking obvious to his Padawan
0: that he's married to this lady. So. I agree, and I see you, and I raise you. Jedi's comparing kill counts. I'm going to have to assume that the kill counts that Annie and Snips are comparing are droids. Though the rest of this episode, clearly that is not the whole story. But like, they're bragging about who's ended more life. Isn't that like the opposite of a Jedi?
1: That's like a Jedno. And then, of course, the way that Master Mundi earns Anakin's respect at the end of the episode is by giving his own kill count instead of, you know, Anakin perhaps learning a lesson about not keeping track of your kills because you
0: shouldn't be so into killing. I also enjoyed, it kind of seemed like Palpatine sort of learned a lesson here, and I I might just be reading into this, and maybe... Sheev. Sheev. Okay, so, sheev okay maybe he is the greatest actor of all time maybe he's one of those people who's so good at acting he's good at pretending at being bad at acting right so he's pretending to be bad at acting because he's so good at acting he's pretending even though we know he's pretending he's double pretending in a meta way but that moment where he's like uh, i don't think you need to send so many jedi to genosis i, I wouldn't i wouldn't do that and yoda's like oh uh, Um, no, think we will, I do. Me, yes, Yoda puppet. And Palpatine's like, fuck, fine. Send them, Said all the Jedi. Fine, if you think, little man.
1: I'm really interested in a backstory for Sheev Palpatine where he was interested in theater before deciding to take over the galaxy. And now I want to see an alternate timeline where he's just a really famous
0: actor. (laughs) I'm having this, like, mental image of he was in a production of Our Planet, so... Okay, now I kind of feel like all of the Jedi revel in war a little too much.
1: Yeah, overall, this episode didn't really do much for me. My commentary was that it's one of the more smashy, crashy episodes, which are really necessary because it's an integral part of the Star Wars aesthetic is these enormous battles. It's important, but, you know, I check out a little bit in terms of attention span. And as you say, the Jedi reveling as much in this over kill count as they do only further caused me to disconnect
0: which sort of you know there's a good side to that determinants in battle i do love that even after obi-wan's team and anakin's team both experience downings and everything sucks for everybody no one gives up the only time anybody and like i kind of find it really funny is that luminara is kind of like oh oh well, maybe Barris is dead and we should just move on. I mean I'll be sad for a minute. And then later on in the episode when Barris thinks she's in trouble, Barris is like, oh, I guess worm kill me. It's just sort of like that is definitely a master and a padawan who are not chasing immortality through secretly being Sith. If either one of them turned out to be Sith, I would I would just piss all over my copies because I would not know what to do. They are very
1: okay with being dead. Yeah, we see a lot more of Luminara and her Padawan Barris in the these episodes and I don't know I wasn't really sure what to make of this next episode season 2 episode 6 weapons factory written by Brian Larson which is his final episode not including the one that we already watched that would come after this cat and mouse and directed by Giancarlo Volpe Uh, from the beginning, I wrote down, oh, we're going to get a, this is what an obedient Padawan looks like, but I'm so lucky to have a rebel episode for Anakin, Ahsoka, Luminara and Barris. Yeah. Luminara kind of is a little too quick to give up on her Padawan for my taste, especially as someone who in the next
0: episode is going to be like, hey, don't let me get yurked, but we'll get to that. I sort of come from this like, no, no, no. The captain is the captain and then everybody below him should feel a little bit uncomfortable around him because he's the captain but like who is luminara's equal is it obi-wan or is it anakin because anakin and obi-wan are not equals and every minute of the films goes out of their way to make that clear to me so like who is luminara's equal or is she like a step between and if so okay but like setting up luminara and anakin teamed up with barris and ahsoka teamed up like it felt a little this is the good one yeah it's exactly what you said it just felt so parallel structure that i kind of felt it was a little on the nose. This is really not... And like the more we're talking about it, the more I'm like, this is not my favorite five-parter. But a specific number of parts. Anakin
1: and Luminara sort of like race their Padawans, sort of. There were a few more canon sticking points in this episode that I have questions. There's a part where the Jedi are falling and Force catch themselves, sort of. So I guess no Jedi should ever be worried about falling. And... Again, I'm not really on board with this use of lightsabers as flashlights. I really, really, really question the safety of this. I question how lightsabers are powered, because I'm pretty sure they are powered by a power cell. Are you draining your battery just by using your lightsaber as a flashlight? Shouldn't it just have a flashlight mode? I feel like I'm going to have to say this a million more times, so I'll probably drop it before the end of season two.
0: No promises, but it's a lot in this little... Concentrated cluster. So, and like, I actually did love how physical the Jedi are in this. They grapple, they repel, they race, they run, they climb. I will admit, Everybody being able to force slow themselves is is a little a lot. It's a weird thing to use as a multipurpose tool. I thought it was supposed to
1: be like basically a sacred item to them. And there's jokes about Anakin losing his a lot in episode two. But that's sort of the point of those jokes. He's not supposed to be doing that.
0: Oh, my God. Anakin loses it in episode two.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Wedding night jokes. Oh, God, no, we're not talking about Anakin's virginity. We're
0: not talking about that. So I did love when Anakin was like, I refuse to let Ahsoka die. She or I will find her way out. Like, And then Luminara's exit line is, when the
1: time comes, I am prepared to let my student go. Can you say the same? And I'm like, Anakin was with Obi-Wan for a decade. He's been training Ahsoka for like, it can't have been any more than a year at this point. And even then, I'm kind of pushing it.
0: And it's okay. So, okay. Okay. And I'm jumping ahead to the last episode. There's that whole thing where attachment is not the same as compassion because Anakin is willing to do horrifying things in the name of his attachment to Ahsoka. But that's sort of who Anakin is. He's been working on his pod for years. He refuses to give up his droids. He keeps repairing them and fixing things. He's very attached. Attached to physical objects and people he met once upon a time, Anakin is a terrible choice for Jedi because something Jedi need to be really good at doing is being, like, nomadic and forsaking all of their personal belongings at, like, a moment's notice... I don't know that Jedi really would get shitty about lightsabers. In fact, there might have been like a color order or like a rules to it. Or like, is that why Dooku's lightsaber is white or whatever? But, you know, like, I feel like Anakin has it built into his personality that he's so so emotionally fixation obsessed that it is so incredibly stupid that anyone ever let him become a Jedi.
1: I hear what you're saying, but I think part of it as well is something you touched on earlier discussing this episode questioning who ranks above or below Luminara. And I think that's part of the problem with the Jedi Order is that there isn't as much organization as there should be. It sort of feels like if you are Force-sensitive, you must be a Jedi. And in fact, I think I read something that basically said being Force-sensitive is preemptive... Like, destiny consent to be conscripted by the Jedi Order as a child. And, like, it's such fucking manifest destiny bullshit. And there should be other things that you can do that aren't necessarily warrior monk if you're force sensitive. Anakin is incredibly powerful. And I think he had a good heart at one point that was easily manipulated because of the ways he had already been manipulated by the people who claimed to not even care about him own him so the best boss i
0: ever had in my entire life
1: i feel like the last two episodes sort of run together if only because of the connective narrative thread of the introduction of xeno yurks to the star wars universe rain first up we have season two episode seven legacy of terror written by yogan mahoney and directed by Stuart lee It wasn't, I think, until we got to the Geonosian Queen that I was like, yeah,
0: this was definitely influenced by AVP. Because she a fat bitch. And I mean that like thick king fat bitch, but like she is spectacular. She is immobilized by the giant sack that rests beneath her ancient body. As queens often are. And I think one of the things that I thought was adorable was like Poggle is this like decrepit old man. And, you know, he's very, uh, little old Genosian old man. And she calls him young. And I thought that was adorable. Also, so there are zombies in Star Wars. And I was kind of like, no, no, this is not Night of the Living Sith. And then I was like, wait, I'm thinking that while watching the show about space wizards using their magical glow sticks in a war with secret space wizards, clones, and sassy robots, And I said to myself, no, no, zombies are not a trope too far. I can live with this. And this is a
1: story that I'm really, really okay with them not having saved for a film. I'm also okay with it, but I don't want alien zombies in a Star Wars movie.
0: Yeah, you know, I feel like it wouldn't take me anywhere. I wouldn't be propelled to new Star Wars-ian heights. It was cute seeing this. I did appreciate the amount of callbacks to AVP as people who have covered every minute of the Alien and Predator universes. We can't speak highly of the connective brilliance that is AVP we think it's one of the best of the franchise so go ahead and reference it this episode actually made me mad at points though
1: first of all i was really frustrated by the star wars quote this time being anakin saying that can't be true that's impossible which is a near verbatim quote of his son's reaction to finding out that vader is his father and like are you actually trying to create the original trilogy out of clips from the clone wars is that what you're trying to do Because I'd watch that supercut, perhaps, but very frustrating very annoying like we don't need to use every single piece of dialogue ever spoken in the original trilogy in every single episode
0: though I am desperate now to see the proposed supercut. I was also really annoyed by
1: Obi-Wan's whole sassy plan to get the yerk I found it really obnoxious then to follow the whole sequence with Anakin just killing it was fucking bizarre plot threads like this really do make me feel like they break episodes by saying okay anything we do in this episode has to be undone by the end how do we fill 22 minutes?
0: You know what, Kevo? I think you can examine that off the bottom of my boot. Like, who did Obi-Wan want to study that for? That sounds like some Palpatine shit. I also thought that everybody was maybe a little bit too sassy and like, oh, just let it run all over Luminara's face. And also, Kit Fisto seemed kind of like, no, we can't kill the worms. We have to study them in the next episode. Like, too many Jedi are way too into dark shit. The next episode had its own share of weirdness. Season 2,
1: Episode 8, Brain Invaders, Directed by Stuart Lee and written by Andrew Kreisberg, who co developed Arrow, The Flash, Supergirl, and Legends of Tomorrow before um, being Me Tooed. So we'll move on quickly from that person. You know, in my research for this episode, I actually looked up Poggle the Lesser because I find that name so specifically diminutive that I was wondering, is is there a Poggle the Greater? What's the deal with that? And there's no answers. I'm fascinated. I don't need more information now. I was just curious if there was or if we knew where that came from.
0: And, you know, Poggle winds up playing a really significant turning point in my understanding of this franchise. I am genuinely blown away by Anakin's eventual implicit torture of Poggle, but that's like the only thing of significance that happens with any of the Jedi Masters. Everything of, I guess, significance is with the Padawans, and even then, it's all rendered moot by the end of the episode. This is sort of, I think, the thing we feared all along. I enjoyed seeing Ahsoka verse Barriss, especially if it goes somewhere, where like she learned from that, she fought a Jedi, it was terrifying, and that's going to make her fight versus other Jedi later on more significant, I don't know. So
1: nothing against Barriss, but I kind of do wish Ahsoka had had to kill her. I was horrified by how easily and unflinchingly they were able to kill the clone trooper Trap and just not even really think about it again after except for ahsoka saying he was my friend well you don't really seem broken up about his death ahsoka and yet you later cannot bring yourself to kill barris even as she is begging you to and it might have been the right thing to do like i i just i don't know it's another one of those clone troopers aren't really given any consideration or respect as people but we're supposed to care about the jedi as people you know
0: and i think that's how one of the getting mind controlled so quickly was even possible though okay wait a minute is the worm the queen now was that worm the queen worm now or something or does she just have like galactic satellite brain power
1: or are they just autonomous and are i don't know going to like just go out and infect and i I don't even know
0: what was their end game i did think that barris being able to fight it made sense jedi do have some amount of mind powers and we'd only seen unflinching obedience from either clones who were genetically manipulated and then mind controlled to some extent and mindless husks so i would believe that the worms would not have had total omnipotent control over a jedi barris fought it in some ways it probably would have been almost funny to see the whole thing fail with luminara you know put the worm in Luminara. Nara and her be like oh this is like baby town frolics I'm not like a corpse you old queen so I don't know I liked I liked some stuff I liked the callback to season
1: one episode 16 the out of place episode that had the first traitor clone trooper I thought that was a really important piece of continuity to call back in a situation like this and I really liked the one clone troopers line of if there's one thing we clones know it's how to stop a Jedi because for as frustrated as I frequently am with some of the over the top foreshadowing of what's to come with these characters like when ahsoka and barris were having their private conversation about man i don't know what anakin will do without a war the reference to clone wars knowing how to dispose of a jedi like is so creepy in such a different way because that is something that they have specifically been programmed to do and they aren't even aware of (laughs)
0: I do want to make like a specific call to a specific visual, and it's so dumb, but anybody who went on Star Tours in the mid to late 90s, early 2000s, there was this like super badass Vader behind this giant grate kind of thing as you exited the ride into the gift shop. And I thought Barris attacking Ahsoka looked just like that. I saw it. I got what you meant with that.
1: I'm really interested to see how the conversation between Ahsoka and Anakin, where she talks about not being able to kill Barris for the greater good will tie into later parts of her story especially after anakin becomes vader i don't know how much of a callback there actually will be but it's nice to see that they're already starting to seed threads of where their
0: relationship might end up the challenge that i don't often consider that the creative team behind clone wars faced was sure they had to work within the confines of an existing narrative but they also had an obligation to create their own narrative and then they have an obligation to uphold that and maintain that consistency while continuing to add new things it's a struggle for shows to remain clever and creative after five seasons but you know this is coming in while the expanded universe still exists after 30 years and so frequently, you know, like the best gumbo is the gumbo that sits for two days and it gets thicker and stronger. But with creative ideas, often that means elements have either been done somewhere else or you've thought about the idea so long you've accidentally removed all of the real emotion because you're attached to the characters. So everyone is. There are some neat tricks with that. Whether or not you remember who Buzz is or even ever knew, hearing Buzz is dead. Well, Buzz is kind of a cool name. Buzz is sort of a cool name first. Stormtrooper, and that makes you connect with it, but at the same time I do really find myself glossing over a lot of the emotion of these episodes. So Kevo, I am so excited that we're gonna watch another consecutive chunk in a row, which, yay! Kevo, until we come back next time, where can everybody find you online? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at KevoRealy, K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y
1: and on the Facebook page for this program, Husbands Talking More or Less at Real Nico Kevo Action. You can also find the awesome Super Superhero stories that we've created, starring Kid Riot and all of his friends over at KidRiotComics.com. Nico, where can the folks find you?
0: As always, you guys can find me all over this amazing network on shows like this every Tuesday and Mondays and Thursdays on X's for Podcasts. Don't forget to check me out at WeAreCrocoa.com where we house all of our blog posts as well as upcoming information about episodes at WeAreKrakoa.com. And my Instagram over at NicoAction, that's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And guys, until we return, keep those Kyber Crystals lit.
1: May the Force be with you and also with your Force ghost.
0: Hooray! Hooray!